0: A massive ICE raid on undocumented immigrants leaves children without their parents today. The lead starts right now. President Trump offering praise and consolation and bragging about his crowd sizes to El Paso medical staff who just responded to a racist mass murder. How and why the White House is celebrating the president's trips to El Paso and Dayton today. Families torn apart, children absolutely terrified. As Hundreds of suspected undocumented immigrants are ripped out of their places of employment in ICE raids, with Latinas across the country already living in fear after El Paso. Plus, buttering up the voters, it's opening day at the pivotal Iowa State Fair as a brand new poll shows a big time surge for one of the 2020 contenders. Who is it? Well, we'll tell you. Welcome to The Lead, on Jake Tapper. We begin with our politics lead today, President Trump, right after his call for unity in the wake of 31 people murdered in the United States, and right after his claim that his rhetoric brings people together, decided to then publicly complain about media coverage, attack his political foes, and he discussed the size of his crowds in the middle of visiting an El Paso hospital treating victims of that city's horrific racist terrorist attack. Moreover, in this newly obtained cell phone video from his hospital visit, showing the president talking about how many people came to see him speak in El Paso in February, the president mocked, quote, crazy Beto for not drawing as large a crowd, a reference to former El Paso area Democratic Congressman Beto O'Rourke, who is running for president. The press was notably not permitted to accompany the president to his visits to these hospitals. The White House saying that this is not a photo op. And while it's true that these sensitive moments do many times happen behind closed doors. It did become pretty clear that the White House had no actual opposition to photo ops. They just wanted to control the photos. The president yesterday posting on Twitter a highly produced video featuring this triumphant cinematic soundtrack and images of the president meeting with hospital staff. It resembles a political ad, certainly not what One might expect in the wake of 31 innocent people being gunned down in a horrific weekend of mass shootings. CNN's Pamela Brown has more now from the White House.
1: The president's schedule included a tour of tragedy, two scenes of mass murder in a single day. He greeted some of the recovering victims, the heroes, the first responders, signing autographs, receiving ovations, as well as criticism. It was meant to unite a grieving, scared country. But President Trump partly used the trips to boost his own morale,
2: too. As you know, we left Ohio, and uh, the love, the respect for the office of the presidency. it was I wish you could have been in there to see it
1: I during one hospital visit he praised hour. the medical staff It's
2: an honor to be with you Look at this group of people
1: then boasted about the crowds at his last El Paso rally compared to those of El Paso Native and Democratic presidential and candidate Beto O'Rourke.
2: Well, that was some crowd uh, thank,
1: thank you and we
2: had twice the number outside. And then he had this crazy Beto. Beto had like 400 people in a
3: parking lot. They said his crowd was wonderful.
1: All this as 31 victims lay dead. For those still recovering, none of the eight victims at the El Paso hospital Trump visited agreed to meet with him. But two who had already been discharged came back to meet the first couple. The dual massacres have re-energized nationwide calls for gun control. Trump answered by saying yesterday, before leaving for Dayton, he'll consider background checks.
2: I think we can bring up background checks like we've never had before.
1: But Trump also had multiple conversations with NRA chief executive Wayne LaPierre this week. Sources telling CNN LaPierre told the president more restrictive gun measures may upset Trump supporters in deep red districts. The NRA then tweeted in part, none of the current background check proposals would have prevented these tragedies. And a source tells CNN today that almost all of the patients at a second hospital in El Paso, Del Sol Medical Center, also declined to meet with the president, and the White House ultimately decided not to set up a visit there. We're also learning, Jake, Trump was unhappy with the coverage of his trips, according to an administration official who went on to blame the media. Though, again, Jake, it's worth noting the White House blocked journalists from covering most of the trip.
0: Pamela Brown at the White House, thanks so much. Uh, joining me now is Democratic Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, she serves on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. Good um, nice to see you. Well, I want to get to the, the legislative aspect of how we can, as a country, do something to curtail these, these horrific incidents, these mass shootings. But before we get to that, what's your response to the, the president's trip to, uh, to Dayton and to El Paso?
4: As usual, all, everything that he experiences, uh, he brings it back to himself. So while he was supposed to be there to show sympathy and empathy, um, I think he showed himself the most sympathy and empathy. He always acts like the victim.
0: So oh, another thing I want to ask you about is y- yesterday we broke the story on this show about how, according to many officials, uh, current and former and so- other sources close to the White House, the Department of Homeland Security throughout 2017 and 2018 was pushing mm-hmm. the White House to make domestic terrorism yes. uh, a higher priority in the yes. national counterterrorism strategy, and the White mm-hmm. House kept pushing mm-hmm. back. What's your reaction?
4: Well apparently he doesn't like to hear the words "white supremacists" doing anything. Uh, and so they really cut back on any references to domestic ter- terrorism and acknowledging that as a growing problem. And as you know, Chris Ray only a couple of months ago before our Judiciary Committee in the Senate acknowledged that domestic terrorism is a growing concern and that much of that is associated with white supremacy actions.
0: Sources tell CNN that the House, the House Judiciary Committee, you're on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the House, is considering coming back early to work on uh, gun-related legislation, mm-hmm. including perhaps red flag legislation, perhaps even a ban on some kinds of uh, semi-automatic assault weapons, semi-automatic weapons, limits on high-capacity magazines. Is there anything in there that I just mentioned that you think could get through the Republican-controlled Senate?
4: Not as long as Mitch McConnell is uh, in charge. We can't even get the, the law that was passed, the bill that was passed by the House, which is just a, a background check law. And so there are two people who are holding everything up, you know, it's Mitch O'Connell and the president. And when the president starts talking about he's going to take on the NRA, he'll stand up to them. Oh, that's just such but yes, you know. So, um, by the way, when all of this tragedy occurred and Veronica Escobar, when the president was talking about going to El Paso, she had wanted to talk with him. She reached out. She's he the congresswoman time. from the yes. El Paso area. We had her yes. on the show yesterday. But he had all kinds of time to talk to the NRA, who got to him immediately.
0: What and- can Senate Democrats do, if anything, to try to bring this legislation that is uh, past the House, this background check mm-hmm. legislation, uh, it has overwhelming support among the American yes. people, probably would not have had any impact on these two shootings, but would have closed a loophole that has been obvious for for many years.
4: As you say, these loopholes have been huge for a long time, but we need to get to also the banning of the assault weapons and any kind of weapons that can charge, that can fire dozens of um, bullets at one time. Uh, What can we do? Well, you know what? The elections, that's one opportunity. We need to defeat Mitch McConnell because he is very focused. In fact, uh, he prides himself as being the grim reaper. And he's happy to hold back all of these kinds of uh, bills that the House has sent to us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one way is to defeat Mitch McConnell. Another way is for the Republicans in the Senate to raise their voices. And you hardly hear a peep out of any of them.
0: So the semi-automatic uh, weapons are the most popular kind of weapon, I think, being being sold in the United States mm-hmm. right now. If you're talking about banning them, how do you envision that? Do you envision a mandatory Buyback, uh, mandatory confiscation, or just a, a, a restriction on sales of, of new
4: ones? Well, you start with the sales of new ones. Because when you start talking about uh, confiscating guns, then you run into, I would say, some legal challenges. But I think there are ways to encourage people to turn in their firearms. But first, first and foremost, let's just uh, not keep selling new, you know, the, the new sales. That we can stop.
0: All right, Senator Mazie Hirono of Hawaii. Thank you so much for being Thank here. You. I don't know why you're here, as opposed to in Hawaii, but we love having you. Thank you so much.
4: Good to be with you.
0: <laughs> a call to police from a concerned mother about her son possibly owning these assault-type weapons. The CNN exclusive about the alleged El Paso gunman. And potential warning signs next. Then, children sobbing and hysterical, not sure where their parents are and when or if they will ever see them again. The ICE raid that now has ICE agents scrambling. Stay with us. A CNN exclusive in our national lead now, we now know that weeks ago, the alleged El Paso white supremacist terrorist's mom called the police. She was worried that her son had in his possession an AK-style firearm and that he might not be mature enough to handle it. But the family's lawyer says she never gave police her name or her son's name. In the Dayton, Ohio massacre, we're learning more disturbing details about that killer's background. CNN's Ed Lavandera has more now on the two suspected murderers and warning signs that may have been missed.
5: The mother of the El Paso Walmart gunman called police in Allen, Texas, because she was concerned that her son owned an AK type of firearm. Lawyers for the gunman's family say the call was made in the weeks before the massacre that killed 22 people and wounded 27 others. Police in the Dallas suburb where Patrick Crucius lived say they have no documentation of the call from the mother who lawyers say didn't give them her or her son's names. The lawyers also say the mother was worried about her son's maturity to handle the weapon, but that he was not showing volatile or erratic behavior. El Paso police say it will take another 20 days for forensic teams to finish processing the crime scene at the Walmart, where the parking lot has turned into an emotional gathering spot for residents to share in their grief. The scene is being screened off. They don't want to get gory here, but the scene is uh, picking up uh, human remains actually there. The Dayton gunman's past is equally troubling, with a history of violence going back to high school. A friend and former classmate of the gunman's sister recounts a night where Connor Betts was physically and verbally abusive to her and his sister, Megan, who was shot and killed by her brother along with eight others. Another friend of Connor Betts tells CNN they would visit the local shooting range together. He knew he owned an AR 15 type gun, but didn't think he'd do anything violent with it. But he was wrong. 911 calls from the night of the shooting show just how violent he was.
3: Do not go outside. Stay okay. Okay. We ran inside. We're barricading the door. There were shots, and everybody laid down. And that's where my okay. friends are. <laughs>
5: And, Jake, the sadness continues here in El Paso as funerals are underway uh, in Juarez, Mexico, where one of the victims is being laid to rest, as well as the beginning of the funeral process here on the U.S. side of the border as well. So uh, tough days ahead for everyone affected by this massacre here in El Paso. Jake. All right. I love Indira in El Paso. Thank you so much. Fear
0: in America, children inconsolable after their parents were arrested and detained as part of part of a massive immigration raid.
3: Governments, please put your heart, let my parents be free with everybody else, please don't leave the child with cryness and everything. I need my dad for me. My dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal.
0: That's 11-year-old Magdalena Gomez Gregorio begging the Trump administration to release her father from custody. He was arrested in a sweeping ice raid in Mississippi yesterday, one that targeted undocumented immigrants. And he was one of nearly 700 people detained in a community where fears are already heightened just days after that terrorist shooter targeted Latinos in El Paso. Some families have been Reunited today, we are not sure if Magdalena and her dad are among them. A few weeks ago, when President Trump announced that there would be more raids by ICE, he said the focus would be on violent criminals, but obviously that is not what happened here, as CNN's Diane Gallagher in Morton, Mississippi, reports.
6: Please, can I just see my mother, please?
7: Parents taken away on buses, separated from their children. Her mom is the only one
6: she has, that's her
7: guardian in immigration raids across Mississippi on Wednesday.
3: I need my dad for me. <laughs> my dad didn't do nothing. He's not a criminal.
7: Many children left behind at schools and daycares, one gym in a nearby town offering to house and feed children who were separated from their parents.
8: I understand the law and how everything works, but and everything has a system, but everybody needs to hold the kids first and foremost in their mind.
7: Today, anxious family members are trying to locate their loved ones who were arrested. There's a website that they were, we were told that they, we could find anyone that's been processed and detained. I haven't been found a single person. One woman telling CNN her husband, who has a heart condition, was arrested, leaving her and their five-year-old son with no one to help them. He asks me for his dad, where he is, and I tell him he's not here. I told him they took him, and he starts to cry because he needs him. A total of 680 detentions at seven food processing plants across six cities in Mississippi, officials calling it the largest single state immigration enforcement operation ever in the U.S.
2: While we are a nation of immigrants, more than that, we are first and foremost a nation of laws. The
7: raids on the heels of the El Paso shooting, where Latinos were purposely targeted, also came on the first day of school for those children. An ICE official telling CNN they did consider the impact on children and worked with school administrators, adding, quote, this was planned for months, well before El Paso. We did this under past presidents. This is business as usual for us. (laughs) Some detainees released overnight with ankle monitors like this. As White House officials tell CNN, ICE is scrambling to reunite some parents with their children because of child care issues, many of whom were placed with volunteers and strangers. And Jake, we just got new information from the government. 271 of those nearly 700 people have been released. We also learned that they found 18 juveniles, one as young as 14 years old, working in those plants. I can tell you that CNN has also learned from a senior immigration official that... They they use these uh, plant employees as informants that one employee was paid between five and eight hundred dollars for each unauthorized worker. Jake, we still have no word on any if on if any of the owners or managers at these facilities are being charged.
0: All right. Diane Gallagher in Morton, Mississippi. Thank you so much. Um, So we knew that ice raids were coming. We were President Trump signaled this uh, in July. Um, Take a listen to what the president said about ice raids and who they would primarily target.
7: We're focused on criminals as much
5: as we can before we do anything else.
0: So MS-13, people who had committed horrible, violent acts. But that's not what these people are. These are... These
8: are families. Yeah. And despite the president's comments, we know that this administration has been looking to target uh, the undocumented community in the United States more broadly beyond those priorities as they were carried out under previous administrations, including the uh, preceding one under President Obama, uh, to prioritize these individuals who committed crimes other than simply crossing the border uh, illegally. Um, and, And obviously, because of how this is coming just days after this mass shooting that targeted uh, Latinos in El Paso because of this shooter and, and his manifesto, which laid out um, how he felt there was an invasion of Hispanics in Texas. You do obviously have to wonder how uh, Hispanics in this country are feeling and undocumented Hispanics in particular. And the president really hasn't done much to address those concerns in particular in the wake of this mass shooting. Uh, and this action obviously doesn't do anything to help uh, ease those pains from this week uh, at all. And uh, you you saw the ICE official there say that um, this
0: is uh, business as usual. This is what happens. They've been planning this for months. Um, I don't know that a previous administration, Bush deported people, Clinton deported people, Obama was called the deporter in chief. I don't know that after a massacre targeting Latinos that the prior presidents would have gone ahead with this, not to mention on the first day of school.
9: Right. I can't answer that either, Jake. But what I do know is that... um, When the Obama administration initially did carry out some of the deportations, they responded when Latino lawmakers reacted and said, you can't be carrying out aggressive mass raids like this. And Obama, instead, if they were trying to build a case against certain companies, would audit those companies and would carry it out that way as opposed to these shows of force by by raiding and doing sting operations.
0: What's your take on this? Obviously, again, Raids like this didn't just start under the Trump administration, but it does feel like the timing is suboptimal.
6: Look, I think uh, that it's probably the best use of resources to focus on those for actually violent criminals and not people who are just doing jobs in the U.S. That is, I think, the higher priority of ICE's job, but it is not the entirety of their job. And one of the things that seems to be suggested in a lot of the discussion of this is that interior enforcement is just off the table or that border enforcement is just sort of off the table because we're in a time when that is somehow inappropriate. Um, look, there was an uh, an Antifa guy who was killed trying to firebomb an ICE facility. And now there's this El Paso incident, two domestic terrorism incidents that have to do with this issue. I don't think that ICE's, the federal government's plans for dealing with a law enforcement issue should be dictated by those events. And if this was indeed in the works, then like it should be handled with the utmost sensitivity, which is not the Trump administration's strong suit, but I do not, I reject the idea that interior enforcement is somehow just not appropriate.
0: Kirsten?
10: Well, so I, I, I was very critical of the Obama administration when they, the, the way that they handled the situation with the undocumented immigrants, whether it was them sending back the unaccompanied children who came over the border, um, deporting people who really had done nothing more than try to get a better life in the country. And I I think that's the point. When they say they're criminals, you don't really know what ICE ever means when they say that, because they could mean they just crossed the country. They could mean they're a violent criminal. They could mean they sold a dime bag of marijuana. You know, they they have a history of overcharging immigrants and deporting them and, and, and undocumented immigrants. Often people who have no connection to the country. They moved here when we were, they were a child and then they're sent back to a country where they don't even speak the language. Yeah. I think the bigger issue is this: the, the use of resources going after a mother working in a plant when we have a domestic terrorism problem in this country, right? So it, it's like, really, doesn't the U.S. government have better things to be doing than this?
0: So, and then the other question, of course, is these plants and the plant owners. Uh, and we see the, the people being punished right now. There's these kids and you know your heart goes out to them. Cook Foods, which, ones, uh, which owns one of the plants, rated yesterday, told the Times quote, the chicken industry uses every tool in the toolbox, including E-Verify, to help ensure a legal workforce, and we've been strong advocates before Congress to make those tools even stronger. But the truth of the matter is, and I think we all know, these companies, generally speaking, do not suffer much from this, even if they have been, let's face it, exploiting these workers who are terrified, who live in the shadows, who are can't, they can't organize, they can't collective bargain. You heard uh, the report from uh, uh, Diane that that uh, um, some of these kids working, they were fourteen years old. Mm-hmm. I mean the, the the owners get off scot-free quite often. It seems.
9: Right. And so that's the question is whether or not this case that the administration seems to be hinting at that it's bringing is 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 actually takes any action against these companies or not. Um, and whether or not the ultimate impact is on these children and on these families.
6: And, it's and they, per- Go ahead. I
9: mean, they shouldn't get off scot-free. And they, the problem is that many of these
6: companies and the exploitation that exists is a magnet for the illegal immigration in the first place. But I, I do think also that people are not crazy to think that the outrage is selective here, despite Kirsten's legit consistency on this issue. Many people, it's not like there weren't sad children who were suffering in the wake of Obama's deportations. We just didn't see them. And there was a reason for that, because it wasn't as useful to put on TV, I think.
0: That's fair. But also, I I would point out that that this is the biggest uh, single-state day raid of of all time. And the U.S. attorney there is... At at least a decade. uh, Yeah, yeah, at least a decade bragging about that. Everyone stick around. We have some breaking news about the man in charge of carrying out President Trump's immigration policies, what sources say the White House did that almost drove him to resign. Stay with us. Breaking news for you In our politics lead. CNN is learning that acting Homeland Security Secretary Kevin McAleenan was ready to resign. Sources tell CNN that McAleenan felt undermined by subordinates who would go over his head to President Trump. But in the end, he did not resign. CNN's Pamela Brown and Jeremy Diamond have this breaking news. Jeremy, let me start with you. So
8: McAleenan was prepared to resign. What happened? That's right. Well, in late June, Jake, you may recall that the president was tweeting this vague threat to deport millions of of undocumented immigrants and at the same time dhs was preparing to uh, conduct an operation that would essentially Round up and and focus on uh, deporting migrant families in particular. Uh, And that is when uh, DHS Secretary McAleenan went to the White House to try and make his case about this because he was concerned that the operation was half-baked, was too broad uh, in scope. And he also, uh, it was the latest instance in which he felt undermined by some of his subordinates at DHS. Uh, Mark Morgan, the uh, head of ICE at the time, was speaking directly with the president about this. But when McAleenan went to the White House to make his case Uh, He was speaking with the chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, and his deputy, Emma Doyle. Um, And so this was just kind of one of the latest instances in which you saw McAleenan at odds with the White House, not only on policy, but also feeling like his leadership at the Department of Homeland Security was, was being undermined. Nonetheless, the fact that the president the next day decided to postpone that raid, he cited Democrats. We don't necessarily know that that's the reason why, but that did allay some of McAleenan's concerns. But nonetheless, just one of these touch points in the in the fairly tumultuous tenure of Kevin McAleenan, in which he has felt undermined by officials uh, at DHS.
0: And Pamela, your reporting really highlights the power struggle that McAleenan is in the middle of here.
1: Yeah, that's right, Jake. I mean, the episode Jeremy outlined there really puts into view this tension within DHS and the hot and cold relationship that McAleenan has with the president, who sees immigration as his top priority. He's been increasingly surrounded by Trump loyalists and immigration hardliners and has at times been frustrated that some officials go around him and directly to the president as he grapples for control of the department he leads. That's according to multiple administration officials. I'm told the dynamic is often the president will get upset with them when he sees a headline he doesn't like and then McElhinna will have to smooth things over once again, and that President Trump continues to see him as having an allegiance to President Obama and Democrats. But McAllina began his career as a career official in government under President Bush. Now, given how tenuous the DHS secretary tenure is under the Trump administration, we should we'll sh- we shall see how long McAleenan will survive in his acting role as secretary. As one source put it, it's one of the most politically charged jobs in government right now, But I can tell you, even though his relationship with the president has been tumultuous at times, Jake, he has gained favor among top officials here at the White House, including Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law, who he's worked closely with on immigration issues. All right, Pamela
0: Brown and Jeremy Diamond, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, Politicians, butter sculptures, deep fried Oreos, the Democratic presidential candidates descending on the Iowa State Fair now as a brand new poll from that state shows one candidate surging. Who is he or she? Stay with us. In our 2020 lead, brand new polling numbers out of Iowa today showing Vice President Biden maintaining his lead, Senator Elizabeth Warren surging, and Senator Bernie Sanders falling among likely Democratic Iowa caucus goers, according to one poll. This at a time where nearly all Democratic candidates are descending on the state of Iowa for one of the most honored presidential tra- race traditions, the Iowa State Fair, where between the fried butter and meat on a stick, You should avoid that, candidates. Candidates will be using the soapbox as an opportunity to win voters in one of the most crucial states where caucuses will be held on February 3rd, less than six months away. Yikes. CNN's Arlette Science reports now from Des Moines.
11: Hi, how are you? you. On the opening day of the Iowa State Fair, Joe Biden laying out the stakes to voters.
2: We really are in a fight to restore the soul of this country. We've led the world in the past Because not
0: just that we are the most powerful nation in the world.
11: The former vice president at a must-stop for the 2020 candidates, making his pitch to Iowans at the so-called soapbox.
0: They want to restore the backbone of this country. The backbone of this country is the middle class. Steve
11: Bullock, the Montana governor, also taking a turn on the stage this afternoon.
0: If you make me the nominee, I will win California, Massachusetts, Vermont.
2: I don't know if those senators could make the same guarantee that they could win Montana, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania.
11: From the funnel cakes to the pork chops, the Iowa State Fair is a rite of passage for presidential hopefuls. Nearly every Democratic contender making a stop here over the next 10 days to press the flush with fairgoers and check out the famous butter cow. Iowans are also getting a dose of the candidates on the airwaves. Health care for all. Kamala Harris rolling out the first TV ad of her campaign. That's what I'm fighting for,
4: real
7: relief for families like yours.
11: Two days before her visit to the fair, Elizabeth Warren in Western Iowa, explaining why she's labeled the president as a white supremacist. It's just one piece of evidence after another. Biden not going so far when asked.
0: I believe everything the president says and has done encourages white supremacists. And I'm not sure there's much of a distinction.
11: As the 2020 field descends on the Hawkeye State, a new poll of likely Democratic Iowa caucus goers shows Biden holding on to his lead at 28 percent. He's trailed by a rising Warren at 19 percent, Harris at 11 percent, and Bernie Sanders, who has dropped to 9 percent. While he's still at the top of the polls here, Joe Biden acknowledges it's still early on with the Iowa caucuses, six months away. And while Biden had the spotlight here at the state fair today, his competition is close behind Jake. Between now and Sunday, 18 other Democratic contenders will hit the fairgrounds to talk to Iowans and probably sample some of that fried food.
0: All right. Hopefully not the meat on a stick. Arlette science. thanks so much. Appreciate it. So let's go over that latest Iowa poll. It shows Biden keeping his lead at 28 percent. Warren surging to 19 percent. Sanders taking a hit, dropping seven points uh, down to 9 percent. You see uh, Harrison there as well. Um, What's going on? Warren is really resonating. And Bernie Sanders seems to be really dropping.
9: Yeah, those, that poll shows that he seems to be faltering a bit, either because Warren is pulling support from him, because he hasn't been able to stand out as much in the recent debates. But Warren is showing that her method of slow and steady seems to be paying off. She has a really big ground game, not just in Iowa, but also in Nevada. And that's something that Biden is trying to catch up to right now, even though he, he's ahead in the polls, but on the ground in Iowa, he's been trying to spend more time there, build up his field operation.
0: Are you surprised that the, the Biden has been such a strong front runner. I mean, he's still it's we're less than six months away until Iowa and he's still uh, with a commanding lead.
10: No, I'm not that surprised by it, because when you look at just poll after poll, people are saying that their number one thing is they want somebody who can beat Trump. And I think for some reason they look at Joe Biden and they think he's the one because he says he can win over the people in Pennsylvania and in these swing states I don't think this is sustainable, though. He hasn't performed that well in the debates. And and I think that, you know, Elizabeth Warren has really distinguished herself. And, uh, you know, I think what she has going for her over Bernie, even though he has really, you know, the supporters really do love him, is that she's not a socialist. And, And when people are looking at somebody who can beat Trump, that is a concern for them, is that they feel like to have the socialism name associated with the Democratic candidate would be something that would sink
0: them. What what, what do you make of this all?
6: Um, I think people are making that calculation that they think he's essentially a crossover artist, that he can go to Pennsylvania and Michigan Mm -hmm. and make these arguments. Do you buy it? I I think that in the pool they have thus far, as far as sort of like couching his message, that's a great example of how he answered the white supremacist question. He doesn't go quite as far as the other ones on purpose because he knows he's going to have to talk to people who voted for Donald Trump. And he doesn't want to be calling them all of the names in the book before he does that. I think that—I think he still probably goes a little too far to make that appeal later. But, um, look, he hasn't been strong on the debate stage. But on the other hand, nobody's really taken him out. Um, And so you might end up with this situation where that lane, that other lane keeps getting filled by another person— every now and then. Maybe Harris moves up next. Uh, I prefer the rando lane, as, <laughs> frankly, with the uh, Williamson's and the, the Yang's of the world, but, but that, <laughs> that one's not getting prime time. But that is right also now. the
8: question is like, what are, what are democratic primary voters going to learn about Joe Biden that they didn't know before that's mm-hmm. gonna make those voters who already do support him actually change their minds? Or is it perhaps something that they see in these new candidates that they didn't know before? Right. But so far, it seems like despite the hits that he took at the last debate and how much you know he was pummeled from all sides, his numbers haven't really dropped, so it doesn't seem like any of those attacks uh, hit their mark, at least in terms of those voters who are already saying that they want to vote for Joe Biden. Kamala Harris uh, surged a little bit after the first set of debates when she had yeah. that moment, uh, but since then she's kind of
0: plateaued, gone down in a couple of po- uh, polls. She had just uh, released a TV ad uh, in uh, Iowa, six-figure buy. Take a look at this little snippet.
7: After we were fed and in bed, our mother would sit up trying to figure out how to make it all work. That's what I'm fighting for. Real relief for families like yours. Not in 20 years, not in 30. Starting my first day as president.
0: Because you've
7: waited long enough to get a good night's sleep.
0: Still introducing herself to voters, really. Yeah,
10: I mean, I think it's an effective ad. It's it's great for Iowa. She's focusing on a story that a lot of Americans can relate to, giving a little biography, and so I think that that's good. Um, I had said before, I think whenever you have one of those rocket ship kind of things where you go up, it's often not sustainable. The slow and steady is much more like what Elizabeth Warren has been doing, I think is probably something that's more for the long haul. But I also think, you know, for Biden... He has, he's really occupying that lane, you know, the uh, electability, uh, moderate, electability, or? moderate white guy lane. I mean, and 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 w- when you look at the other people, they're divided up among a lot of different people. And so even if you were to take Sanders and add it into Warren, I mean, she's doing, you know, once you start, once people start dropping out of the race, I think you're going to start to see it shift a bit when people aren't being divided. Six months yeah. is a
6: long time, too. Yes, yeah. it's
0: a long time, but it's also going to be here like that. Yeah. Thanks so much. <laughs> uh, do you like cheeseburgers? There's a new report with a dire warning, and it's pointing right at cheeseburger eaters. That's next. In our world lead, now the Americans hit hardest by the climate crisis right now might be the ones who feed all of us farmers. A report out today from the United Nations warns that climate change is having a devastating impact on agriculture. CNN's Bill Weir talked to American farmers about this new reality. It's simply harder to grow crops. It's part of our Earth Matters series.
11: We had a very, very wet spring and too much rain to plant. plant.
2: Justin Jordan is among the millions of American farmers living on an emotional roller coaster that only seems to go down. So this corn is, is almost two feet shorter than it normally is. Thanks to a bizarro spring, he's looking at a 30% drop in yield.
11: It's, it's a kind of feeling of helplessness and stress is what it kind of feels like. Yeah. So, But you just do what you can with what you have to work with.
2: At least he has a crop. Too many farmers lost everything to epic floods. And even the lucky ones are losing sleep over fear of an early frost. And trade wars and the highest farm debt in a generation. And on top of it all comes the latest alarming report from the IPCC, which finds that growing food from India to Iowa will only get harder as the climate gets harsher.
8: So we're gonna see by uh, cur- uh, mid-century, by current projections, that our number of days above 90 degrees is gonna rise from about 17 days per year above 90 degrees in, in a Des Moines That'll be up more like 50 to 70.
2: The report finds that about three-quarters of the Earth's ice-free surface has been paved, plowed, or deforested. Great for economies, horrible for nature's cycles. And with all the diesel and fertilizer used to grow the modern meal, they say agriculture is to blame for nearly a quarter of greenhouse gas emissions. But here's the good news. Right now, every corn plant in this field is pulling carbon out of the sky and putting it in the ground. And with the right amount of innovation and financial motivation, a smart farmer can leave it there and still feed the world. Iowa could be one giant carbon sink. And unlike miners and drillers and frackers, they don't have to change careers in order to help save life as we know it.
11: Just listen to all the birds, too. Something you don't hear when you walk out in a cornfield. I mean, there's just so much more, like I said, not only the plant biodiversity, but the wildlife diversity.
2: Exactly, exactly. Justin takes advantage of a federal program that pays him to let part of his fields go wild, which brings higher yields in the long term. Over in Nebraska, Brandon Honeycutt is trying out cutting-edge science funded by Bill Gates that uses bacteria instead of synthetic fertilizer, the stuff that creates ocean dead zones and red tides. That's all a petroleum-based kind of products industry that we live in and the more we can move to a more natural bacterial based i think that's better for all of us and even some conservatives like ray gasser are joining this green revolution even though the republican refuses to blame a warming planet entirely on human habits so how do you feel about big members of your party even the president casting doubt and skepticism into whether or not humans can even help stop this.
8: Well, I think it's more about not having uh, severe regulations. You know, I think uh, you know, a one size fits all regulations really does not fit agriculture anywhere.
2: But like many Republican neighbors, he still embraces wind energy, cover crops and soil conservation
8: as we farm a little bit differently as we sequester nutrients and carbon you know we're all you know we're doing the right thing you know and that's what it's about it's trying to do the right thing we all want to
2: do that absolutely and it shouldn't be political amen brother It is a great sentiment, but of course, everything in America is political these days, especially Iowa on State Fair weekend. Elizabeth Warren put out her big farm plan yesterday. It'll be interesting to see how many other candidates, Jake, have farmers at the table as they uh, propose new ways to think about a Green Revolution 2.0.
0: All right, Bill Weir, thank you so much. Appreciate it. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at The Lead. CNN, our coverage on CNN continues
8: right now. See you tomorrow.